Well, this morning we do come to the end of a series we started back early in the summer um, that I've entitled I Am, and we've looked at things like um, God is our covering, He brings a shield to our lives, He He's our guide, as we saw with Jacob uh, in his uh, life, and he's all the, He is the Almighty, He's our vision, He's our deliverer, uh, that He sets the standard for our lives when He laid out the Ten Commandments for us. Um, that even when the people of God failed, he would say, I'm still your God, I still love you. I find a lot of comfort in that. I don't know about you. Uh, and we've noticed that he's our judge, that he is faithful. He says, I, uh, I'm going to bring righteous blessings in your life, and I'm still going to be faithful when things go off the rails. And that's where we stopped last week uh, with the story of Ezekiel uh, and how he was dealing with the people doing some downright foolish things uh, and had found themselves in the midst of judgment. If you remember what happened, uh, Ezekiel was in the early stages of the exile from Judah and Benjamin and found himself living under a pagan king. Today we fast forward in the story of the grand picture of the Old Testament to a prophet named Zechariah. And now Zechariah is identified as a minor prophet. That doesn't mean he didn't have anything to say. It just means he didn't talk a lot. Some of you are probably thinking, can we get a minor preacher? Well, some weeks. Uh, I just hope I have something to say. But anyway, uh, Zechariah didn't write a lot, but he did write some important things. And he found himself in the early stages of the exile. So he was probably in the same group of folks that um, Daniel uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all those guys find themselves in the exile, back up. He is at the end of the exile. I'm in the wrong story. Let me back up and start over. It may not be as short as you hoped it would be. Um, if I go the long way, he is actually Zechariah. Got the wrong prophet. Zechariah is actually in the early stages of the return to the promised land before Ezra and Nehemiah come and help rebuild the city. So imagine with me, you have been. You spent your entire life because Zechariah would have been born in captivity, and he's now been able to return. You're going, how do you return to something you've never been in? Well, it was the promised land, so they return. They come back to the promised land. He's back in the area around Jerusalem. He's living back in this, in this area, or for him, living in this area because he'd never been there before. And he looks around and sees the mess. Remember when the city had been destroyed, they took the walls down. They destroyed the temple. They ruined the crops. They had hauled off people. Now he's back or he's in the land. And and I want you to see from this passage that God is also, he says, I am your restorer. I can bring your life back together even after you've been in a mess. Y'all with me? That's the word I need. I hope that's the word you need. That even when we find ourselves in foolishness and sin and a mess, that what God can do is bring us back. But where do we look to find this process? Well, I want you to look three ways because that's what Zechariah is kind of laying out in this chapter 6. Is He's laying out, this is where you need to look. Look here, look here, look here. Look in this direction. And the first thing he says is look to God for what? For your blessings. Where do your blessings come from? Well, I have a wife. She blesses me. My kids bless me. You got grandkids, maybe they bless you. You got parents, they bless you. Mine still does. 
in so many ways. Um, but blessings come in a lot of ways. But ultimately where we need to look is to God. Look what he says in verse 1 and 2. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds. And he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation of the field. For the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore the people wander like sheep. They're afflicted for a lack of of a shepherd. Now, part of Zechariah's word for the people is this. You need to be looking to God. And you need to be looking to God for your blessings in life. You're going, what's he talking about here? Prophets sometimes don't write real clear. They don't say, see, spot, run. They will talk about the meaning of the spot and the feeling of a dog to get you there sometimes. You all with me? And prophets are kind of like, okay, what's he talking about? What he lays out here is basically this. You've got two choices in life. You can look for the full clouds or you can look for the empty clouds. Isn't that weird? But I think that's a great analogy for the way most of us are put together. Most of us are either looking for the full cloud or the empty cloud. We might express it this way. We're looking for the half full glass or the half empty glass in our day. But in his day, he was saying, look for the cloud. Now, why would he do that? Because in their day, a full cloud was a rare strike. If you live in a semi-arid climate, an area that doesn't get rain on a regular basis, like, like we went through over the summer, you kind of go, when is it ever going to rain? Where's the cloud? Where's the cloud? And then, Lord, the clouds came, right? And we got... More rain than we really, well, I'm not going to say more than we needed. I'm glad we got what we got. But we got a lot, didn't we? All of a sudden, it was everywhere. And, and what we need to be doing is looking not for the, the, the bad side, but the good side. This is what God is saying to the prophet, saying from God is look for his blessings. Look for what God's going to do. Look what he's going to bring. A full rain cloud brings an abundance of rain. And after 70 years of captivity, these folks have been living 70 years in this captive state, they are now, going, having gone through trials and suffering and pain and all this stuff, now God has fulfilled his promise from all the way back that says, you will go into captivity, but you will also what? Come out of captivity. You will go through suffering, but you'll also find joy. You will go through a hard time, but you'll find good time. God is now doing what he had said he would do, and God had promised this in their lives. And so in a real sense, the clouds were full of God's blessings, and what they needed to do was look to God. For the blessings. You're going, well, of course. But these folks, just like us, we get distracted easy. You know what I'm saying? You know, there's a movie a few years ago that, uh, what was that? Up. Y'all remember the movie Up? You probably thinking, I don't have kids. I didn't see it. It was a great movie. It had Ed Asner with the voice in it, which was just a, a great story. And they would have a dog in there. Do you remember the dogs that had collars that they could talk? I'm thinking, I don't want a dog that can talk. But anyway, the dogs, all they had to do was send a squirrel through the room. And they would all go, squirrel! That's us, okay? We let the squirrels distract us, don't we? The people of God let the squirrels distract them, the squirrel of life, the things get. And so here's what they're dealing with. They, they still are struggling with this idolatry issue. And you're going, how in the world could they still deal with that after all they've been? They are. And as they returned to the land, they needed to keep their eyes on the full cloud of God instead of the empty cloud of the world to focus on what God has for them. 
to reject those empty clouds, to quit doing this stuff. Look at the second verse there. The household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams, give empty consolation to the people wander. Every time we look to the world for an answer, what do we find? An empty hole. Nothing. He says, don't look there. Look to God. Don't look to the empty clouds. Look to the full clouds. Look to the good that God has for us. Because when sheep try to live apart from the covering of the shepherd, here's what happens. The wolves come in and take over. We have to step back and say, God, we're going to look to you to our blessings. We're going to look to you for the good things in our life. We're going to look to you for what you're doing. I don't know about you, but have you noticed, we were talking about our Sunday school class this morning, how it's easy, isn't it, to notice the bad in life? To notice the things that aren't good, to miss the things that God has for us. You know, I'm convinced that God has got something great in our life every single day. And a lot of us don't even see it because we're not tuned into what God's doing. That's what he's telling these folks. Look to God for your blessings. Second, he says, look to God for your victories. Look at verses 3 to 5. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. Uh, literally, that word leaders is the male goat. Oh, that kind of is an interesting twist on that thought there. But the male goats. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders and horses. I don't even have to talk about those verses. Y'all have got that already. Prophetic language is sometimes a little unusual, isn't it? You're thinking, oh, help us out here. As we're looking to God for our blessings, we also have to look to him for another thing, our victory. How many of you like blessings? I love blessings. How many of you like to get defeated? Yeah, not me. I like to win. Friday night was a tough Friday night at the football stadium, right? For those of you who know what I'm talking about, it was a tough night. I don't like those nights. They happen, but I don't like them. Anger, God's anger is real. He says, I'm going to bring into this situation. The people of God, what they needed to do is quit listening to the male goats. The what? The leaders, the ones who want to speak things that are not right. I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is full of a lot of goats that want to tell you the stuff that's not good. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't win this. You can't go here. You can't do I'm to the point where I don't want to read or watch or listen or even acknowledge that news exists anymore. Y'all with me? Because of all the negativity out there. And, and, and a stranger, and stranger was this, the willingness of God's people to go, oh, hear that? Did you hear this? Did you hear that? Oh, yeah, I heard it. And to listen. And here they are being punished. Because Here they are today because they're back in the land. God has fulfilled his promise. I brought you back. And now they're going, oh, did you hear what the goat said? Did you hear the bad thing over there? Did you hear the problem over there? Did you hear the issue over there? Did you hear that over there? I know that's none of us. But there are people like this, right, that are out there. And God's angry. He says, don't listen to those people. I am angry. In fact, God was willing to sacrifice the goat to save the flock. Sometimes you get a, a, a herd of goats, you've got to kill a goat to save the flock. Because the goat's leading the group in the wrong way. You know, goats, goats and sheep are really fun to watch. Um, they're kind of like people. We hear somebody say something and what do we do? We take off town road and go, go there. How many trends and fads have you experienced in life? I gotta have that. 
because somebody else has it. And then six months from now, you go, why did I buy that, right? That's the stuff that they're dealing with. And God can and he will remove influences from his flock so that he can bring about a greater good. He's also going to transform them is what he's going to do. First, the flock is going to be turned into a majestic steed. Now, I've got to tell you something. I'm not a farmer. I've never thought of a sheep or a goat as a majestic steed. Y'all with me? Them things are nasty. Y'all with me? Huh? They stink. Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not pleasant to be around on any level. But God, he says, I'm going to turn them into a majestic steed in battle to bring about victory. I'm going to, from him, I'm going to have a tent peg. You're going to, what? A tent peg. If you're trying to make a tent in the wilderness and not put the pegs in the corners, what happens? Wind comes up. Yeah, you're kind of wrapped up, right? Got to have the tent. From him, I'm going to make a battle bow. You got to have the right equipment to go into battle. And from him, I'm going to bring a, a ruler. See, God is going to transform what was ugly into something good. He's going to take something that's worthless and make it worthwhile. And, and they're going to return to the promised land. And after 70 years, God's going to say, you're going to do this. I want to make something out of you. I'm going to do something great through you. I want to accomplish something through your lineage. Y'all with me? Because through this lineage comes... Jesus. He said, I'm going to transform you and make you into what you need to be and make you something special. I'm going to turn you from being captors, captives to victors. I'm going to turn you from being victims to overcomers. And no longer are you going to live under oppression, but you're going to live a life under the Lord. You're going to be transformed. You're going to be changed. He said, I'm doing something in you. Look to God for the victory because it's out there. Don't look the wrong way. And then he gives a third look to, a little bit longer, but not bad. He says, look to God for your redemption. Look at verse 6. I will strengthen the house of Judah. Whose house of Judah? This is where Old Testament history gets a little weird. The house of Judah is the southern kingdom, the people who lived around Jerusalem that just went through the exile. He says, I'm going to strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. Now, well, who's Joseph? Uh, He had a coat, many colors. Yep, that's right. But where did his people settle when they came to the promised land? We are so not up on Old Testament. We really struggle with it, don't we? Because it's it's all history. That word we don't like to talk about, right? It's like, oh. But, but to understand this kind of stuff, you've got to know a little about it. Joseph is the people who lived in, in the northern kingdom. Wait a second. The northern kingdom, didn't they go into exile too? Oh, no, no, no. 150 years before the southern kingdom went into exile, they were attacked and scattered across the world and replaced by other people from other kingdoms into the land. That's how you end up with the Samaritans in Jesus' day. He says, I'm going to save the house of Judah, southern kingdom. I'm going to save the house of Joseph, the northern kingdom, and I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord your God. He says, I'm going to bring them all back, and I'm going to bring together these two peoples, and I'm going to create a land unto myself, and I'm going to have a people who are going to reveal my will and my presence and my grace and my mercy and my love, and through them is going to come the one you need. Just I'm at work. 
I'm going to bring you redemption. He's also going to bring prosperity. Look at verse 7. Then Ephraim shall be like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Uh-oh, Baptist talking about wine. Be careful. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Now notice the state of mind of these people. They're going to become strong. Were they strong when they were wiped out and exiled? No. They're going to become strong. They're also going to have hearts that are glad as with wine. He is not saying they're going to get toasted. Y'all with me? They're not going to become drunk. But what they are going to have is a little bit of joy in the moment. You with me? You're going, so is he telling us to go ahead and drink some wine? I am not saying that because I want to keep my job, okay? But the visual here is powerful. He says, you're going to have joy. It's going to be good. You're going to have prosperity. And I'm going to whistle for him. I can't whistle. But our head coach at the, at the high school, I think it's a prerequisite for head coaches. Brian, is that correct? You've got to be able to whistle loud. I think every coach I've ever known can do that. They can whistle and get a, clown, a, growl, a group of boys to listen in a moment. Whoop! I can't whistle. I can't even whistle. Forget whistle loud. I, just, I never have learned how to do that. But here's what God's going to do. He's going to whistle for us and bring us back together and bring prosperity to our lives. That's what he's talking to these people. And then he's going to work providentially. He's going to work in a way that's amazing. Look at verse 8, and eight 9, and 10. Uh, I will whistle for them and gather them. I will have dreamed them. They will be as many as before. Um, Though I scattered them as among the nations, yet in far countries they will remember me. And with their children they will live and return. I will bring them home from where? Now catch this, a little Middle Eastern geography. From the land of Egypt, from the south, I will bring them home and gather them from Assyria, from the north and east. I will bring them to the land of Gilead, which is part of Jerusalem, or Israel today, and to Lebanon, which is north of Israel today, until there is no room for them. He says, I'm going to bring so many of them back. I'm going to fill all this work, and it's in my providence. I'm going to bring them to this place, and I'm going to bring them to a place. And their This wasn't their idea, though. This was God at work. He says, I'm bringing it through. And then I'm going to remove the obstacles. Look at verse 11. He will pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile will be dried up. The pride of Assyria will be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt will depart. You're going, What? Have you ever tried to walk through or pass through a sea of trouble? If you haven't, you will. How do you get through that? God says, I'm going to carry you through it. He's going to bring his people back to the land. He's going to do something to them. Just like God had removed the Red Sea obstacle, just like he had removed the Jordan River obstacle, he says, I'm going to remove every obstacle in front of you people, and you're going to be mine. I'm going to work in ways that you can't even begin to fathom. And then verse 12, I will make them strong in the Lord and they will walk in his name. God is going to do a redemptive work through this. Now, what do we do with all this? You know, prophecies are fun. I'm, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. You with me? They are kind of fun in the sense that you've got to sit there and think. And if you like to think and think about God's word and what's he talking about? But if I stopped right here, you'd go... Well, that's an interesting story. I think there's three things we need to grasp from this passage, and I'll do share these with you real quick. We have a decision we have to make, every single one of us. You do, I do. And it's not just a decision of one time. It's a decision we have to make every day. Every day. Every day. 
every day. And he, I, I, was, I, was, I played a little peewee football, <laughs> if you can imagine that. I was awful. How do you be awful at peewee football? I'm the poster child, okay? I was awful. You know why? Because you got to get out there and what? You got to work at it, right? You got to figure out how to get down the stance. You got to figure out how to come up faster than the other guy so you can take his head off, right? That's you're on the line. You know, otherwise, you just tackle. You got to get out there and work at it. I was awful at it. Here's what I want you to understand: We have to choose every single day how we're going to do our life. We have to choose who we're going to follow. Who are you going to follow? Well, today I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be a part of a church, and I'm going to go to worship, and that's good. Well, who are you going to follow tomorrow? Who are you going to follow Tuesday? Well, I'm not following anybody. I'm going to lead. I'm going to be in charge. No, you're not. You're going to follow somebody. You're going to follow some thinking. You're going to follow some way of life. And the question is, just like the people in Moses' day, Joshua's day, David's day, the days of the divided kingdom, you and I have a choice about who we're going to follow. Well, are you going to follow the empty cloud or the full cloud? Are you going to look to the God of heaven or to the God of self? You know, I'm not a God. Let me tell you what, anytime we live our lives outside of under the authority and leadership of God Almighty, we are treating ourselves functionally as the God of our life. Who are you going to follow? In so many ways, my friends, this is a foundational question we have to answer every day. Will we allow God to work in our lives as our restorer or not? Will we lean into the loving arms of God or not? Over and over again, the people of God seem to be particularly proficient at trying to run their own lives. And I think that's true not only in Zechariah's day, but in our day. Listen, I struggle with it. I get up and I want to be in charge. How's that work out? Not so good. We have to have a, a regular confession on our part that says, God, I'm not God, you are. I'm following you not the other way around. And God, I want to keep you on the throne of my life. I want you to be in charge of everything. I want you to be my great I am every moment, every day. Uh, To be able to say with the prophet Micah, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. God, I want us, church, I want us to be people who look to God, who listen and follow. And I want you to know also this, that even though if you have been off in la-la land being goofy and stupid with sin, God will still accept you back. Why? Because he loves you. You go, oh, it's too late for me. I've got a pattern. This is how I am. There was a lady. I can't believe I'm going to tell this story. There was a lady at my last church. They both passed on, so I guess it's okay to talk about them. They're dead, right? I met him the first first time I met him. Uh, his name was Lynn, and her name was Helen. And she goes, now, Patrick, I want you to be able to remember names. And I said, oh, thank you so much. She goes, here's how you remember it. I'm Helen, and he's Lynn, and together we make Helen. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am, I got it. And, and for the next number of years, I'd hear people say, oh, well, that's just Helen. That's how she is. 
And I want you to know I love Helen to death. And I I had the privilege of speaking at her funeral and and at Lynn's funeral about a year apart. But i got to tell you something. People shouldn't have to say something about us that says, oh, well, that's just the way they are in reference to being not so nice about things. We ought to be higher than that. We have a God who sets us apart. He wants us to, to choose to follow him, to let him come into our lives, to transform our lives, to change our lives, to give us. The second thing I want you to see is this. God doesn't want you to be defeated. I phrase it a little bit differently on the screen. God wants you to what? Find victory. Oh, I don't want victory. It's too hard. You know, you got to stand up in front of people and take rewards, and you got to say thank you, and you got to do. All. I'd rather just go ahead and get defeated. It's a lot easier. What is wrong with us? You see, when God saves us from our sin, He does it to bring us into an intimate, victorious life with Himself. He doesn't save you so you can be defeated and to lose and to be a mess. Though you were before you got saved. Don't misunderstand. He brings you into a life that he says, I got something. I cannot find anywhere in the scriptures, through all the trials that the people of God went through in the Old Testament, anywhere did God say, well, I'm really hoping you fail at this one. You with me? He gives us the what? The victory. He wants us to win in life. Does that mean you're always going to win? Of course not. Does that mean you're always going to have an easy life? Of course not. But what it does mean is this. God says, my plan for you are good plans for you to be prosper and to do great in life. And we go, well, I don't know. It seems like a lot of work. I I think I'll pass. God intends you and me to have a great life. Look at John 16, 33 again. He says, I have said to you, I have said these things to you that in me you have have peace. In the world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have hardship. So just deal with it. That's what he said. Andy, read on. Don't, Don't stop too soon. He says, but take heart. You're amazing. Just talk to yourself and tell yourself how wonderful you are and you will overcome anything. Is that what he says? He says, I've overcome the world. And as we are in him, we get to have the benefit of his overcoming in our lives. Why don't we get a hold of that and find his victory? You see, when we profess to follow the great overcomer who desires that we find great victory in life, we will change the way we look at things. We will quit looking for the bad in life. I'm going to say something here. Some of you guys, some of you guys, some of you ladies, some of you folks, some of you people, some of y'all are good at looking for the bad. Somebody give you a million dollars and you go, well, really? You didn't give me two? Oh, my goodness. Let's find the good in life. Why? We serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. I know that he is what? Living, whatever men may say. He's alive. He's alive. Where's he living? Well, somewhere out there in California, I think. No, he's alive in us. And we can have victory if we'll choose it and to see the good. And then one more thing. My restorer lives. What God is ultimately doing through the process of sifting and purification among his people uh, in Zechariah's day was preparing them. I've already referenced this a couple times, so I won't belabor it. But he is preparing the way for the Messiah, 
Jesus, the Christ, to come in about five, six hundred years from this point so that he could live the perfect life he did to die the cross on the cross as we needed him to and then rise from the dead to give us new life. And his desire for us is to this, to, to live, to live. I love what Job said in Job 19. says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. I'm here today to ask you a question as we wrap up this series. Do you know that Redeemer? Do you know that Restorer? Have you met him? You go, well, I've heard about him. That's good. It's a start. But do you know him? Have you come to that place where you've trusted him? You go, well... I'm not opposed to the idea of God. I'm talking about that personal, intimate relationship where you come to God and you say to him, God, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner and I need something. See, there has to come a point, my friends, where every single one of us comes to the place where we say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. And then we go on to the next step that says, God, not only am I a sinner and I need you, I want you to come into my life and to forgive me. You go, well, what will that do? Give it a try. See what will happen. He'll come into your life. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll get you on a new path. Oh, so it'll all be perfect. <laughs> no. It, it may actually be harder trying to live for him but you'll have his power and his presence and his mercy and his grace. Would love to talk to any of you that need to meet him today. We're going to give you some time to respond. If you want to do it publicly, you can. I'll be available after the service. Love to talk with you about it more. But this restorer wants to restore you to the life that he intended for you when you were created but sin got in the way he wants to give you a new life let's pray together Father God we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather to sing some songs to worship you to pray to give and Father we want to live lives of victory lives of blessing lives worth living I pray for those Lord maybe who need to respond to you in one way or the other. For some of us, it's we've been living a life of defeat. We know you saved us years ago, but we've chosen to run it ourselves and we find a mess and defeat after defeat after defeat. But you want to bring victory to us. Lord, for some, it's that first point of salvation. They need to trust you to take that first step. So today, say, I'm going to trust you. And then I'm going to trust you day by day by day. Father, I pray your hand in these moments. Help us to respond as you call us to do that. In Jesus' name.